0: No, you don't. Stop it. Stop saying words. Hello, and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan.
1: Joey, did you know that there's no official training for garbage collectors? I did not know. That. They're expected just to pick it up as they go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, uh, honestly, I think I knew what the punchline on that one was going to be. Right as I said, I didn't know the punchline. Yeah, okay. Well, you win this time, I, I Matt do Morgan. win. Your garbage joke is indeed a garbage joke. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach.
2: I did not think we would get a commander spoiler card today that would make people start looking for copies of Rook Egg from Arabian Nights, but here we are.
0: <laughs> that is uh, definitely a true fact, folks. We are recording on Wednesday. The spoilers have been all types of crazy. We'll have to touch on that in just a second, but let me introduce myself first. I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas?
1: The Data Part 2, Data Boogaloo. (laughs) that's
0: you only get one dad joke per episode
1: Matt come on it's nope this is just penetrating everything
0: stop it not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate yeah there was a lot of data on the show last week but it wasn't enough time to talk about all of it there's just too much that has changed ever since EDHREC decided to start Measuring data, not of all time, but just from within the past two years to try and keep things updated and more current and provide a new lens to provide new recommendations for people. And we'll get to it really soon, but this has been spoiler preview season for Commander 2019, and things have been pretty spicy. What are you guys thinking of spoilers so far? Is there a deck that you're maybe leaning towards one more than the other?
2: i've been pretty happy with everything so far although I, I think today's deck which was the populate one the naya populate uh, list is probably the one i've liked the best and I, I don't even know if i have a good reason for that other than i thought populate was a pretty underwhelming mechanic when it was in standard just because it was primarily like making one one tokens and i think the fact that they've been able to lean heavily into making larger tokens so you can kind of go tall with individual tokens versus go super wide has been a neat, different thing. So that's, that's the one that's kind of spoke to me the most so far. Matt, how about you? I mean, I'm,
1: I'm always a big fan of go wide decks. So the tokens obviously has me pretty excited. Um, I think all of them look really fun. Uh, uh, Volrath, I think, looks like one of the most interesting commanders in my mind so far. So I'm really interested to see what he does. And I mean, the soul type morph deck, I'm just biased towards because, you know, Scroll of Fate was our preview card. It was awesome for Wizards to give that to us. And uh, I'm just very, very excited to see what people do with that.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited for people to see the uh, preview card that's coming out for EDH Rec proper. Our podcast got a preview card, but then the EDH Rec website itself also got one. That video will have come out the day prior to our actual show going out. Things are very temporally confusing right now, uh, but I'm definitely excited for that. In terms of decks that I'm leaning towards personally, I actually am really excited to see what else happens in the Madness deck, because that's the one that could involve graveyard shenanigans, and you know how Joey feels about graveyard shenanigans.
1: He hates them, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely hate necromancy of all forms. Super don't like to reanimate things or play things from the graveyard or discard things. Not my forte at all.
1: Then then it's kind of weird then that your middle name is, as a Necromancer myself, I think your mom (laughs) might have uh, been a little confused with that middle name.
0: This whole bit has gone way too far (laughs) off the rails. (laughs) We will get to Commander 2019 on our next episode, but for now we've got to finish up our takes on the data shifts from changing data evaluation from the past all time to now just the past two years. So let's get to it. On this particular episode, we're going to be evaluating a couple of different factors here. For example, the average number of colors in a deck, average color distribution across EDH decks, changes in guild popularity, which I'm excited to see, and also shifts in card type distribution, the average mana cost of a deck, popularity shifts of a few specific cards over time as well. Just a bunch of different angles that we want to try and pack into this episode. So no more dilly-dallying. Let's get to it now. Alrighty, for our first category when measuring data from all time versus now the data just within the past two years, we're first going to be looking at the average number of colors in a deck, which is to say how many decks are monocolor, how much percentage of decks are three color, that kind of thing. Dana, you want to take this
2: one? Sure. So initially looking at uh, zero color decks is a place to start, I would say, which are, which would mean colorless. Originally we were at a 0.86%, and that's now bumped up to 0.9%. So, you know, that's just a minuscule increase in the amount of colorless decks. That one surprised me a little bit, just because a couple years ago, we had so few options for colorless commanders, and, you know, in the last several years, we've added a couple Eldrazi, we've added Traxos, we've added Hopajiripur, so we've had a few new ones. I thought that might go up a little bit more, but it hasn't. Uh, the one color went from 19.92, so just under 20%, to 20.47, so that's went up slightly, just about half a percentage point. Two-color decks, old was 35.36, and the new was 35.78, so that's, again, just a, a minuscule change there. Three-color decks, old was 31.98, and the new is 30.35, so that's dropped a point and a half. Four color decks was really curious. Old was seven point oh three, so almost exactly seven percent, and the new is five point nine three, so that's dropped one percent. And the five color decks, we've gone from four point eight six to six point five seven, so that's probably the, that's the biggest increase I think we've had in any of those categories. Is is the leap there in the amount of five color decks out there?
0: Yeah, quite a weird amalgamation of stuff. I am personally surprised to see that the four color decks dropped in popularity, yeah. I, if anything, would have anticipated them to increase.
2: Yeah, that was that was strange. Yeah. And the five-color commanders, there, there's a, a little bit there, too. We've had a real surge in the last few years of these five-color commanders that are only five-color commanders by virtue of having an ability on the card, which makes them a lot easier to kind of build in terms of mana base, things like Najila, where, you know, the card itself is just red, but the activated ability is colorless. So that gives you a little bit of freedom in terms of what you want to do with the decks, mana base. Um, so yeah, that kind of makes sense. There's been a real uh, a whole bunch of good five color commanders added in the last few years. So that uh, that one I totally get why that's bumped up.
0: Yeah, and actually even thinking about it, Commander 2016, which contained all of the four color decks. Like, that's actually more than two years ago now. So, technically speaking, at the time that we're cutting data off, that is really just there on the cusp of it. So, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised to see that Four Color is slightly dipping in popularity now that those commanders are a little bit farther away than perhaps I remembered them to be. Um, you know, people are still building Atraxa so all the dang time. That is still our number one commander of all time, and I would argue for good reason. Uh, but those decks are certainly farther away now. We're on to. Commander 2019, so the 2016 influence is, you know, starting to peter out just a little bit. With that said, these numbers are also very, very steady. There is not a drastic change in any of the color distributions here.
2: No, not at all. But but that kind of makes sense if you think about, like, the sheer amount of commanders that are out there. Um, and, you know, I think people are, are more comfortable having multiple decks, too, nowadays. So I I would just guess they build new ones and don't take apart old decks to a degree. I guess I don't know if that's true or not. But at least among my friend group, I see people, they just tend to make new decks. I don't tend to maybe take apart old ones that often.
0: Well, and that's always <laughs> thats kind of a funny thing for us to keep in mind as well. Like the decks that we pull data from. If someone does discontinue it, there's really no way for us on the right. website to know that. We're still pulling that data, even if someone has taken it away. So, like, that's one of those things that we try to keep in mind as well. And now that we are instituting the two year, you know, drop off point, then that's sort of our way of doing it. But we can't tell if someone's deck is just a draft or they put it online so that they can remember in case they try building something new and actually want to go back to an old deck or something like that. There's a bunch of different stuff that we're not really sure how people are necessarily building the things that they have online. So these really are our best estimates in that regard, too. That's just another thing to keep in mind when we're looking at all of these percentage points. Anyway, I'll stop pontificating and move on to our next category, which is also related to color. In this particular one, we're looking at the percentage of color distribution, which is to say percentage of the overall decks that contain the color white or contain the color blue stuff like that. So we're not looking just at one color or two color decks or any specific color amalgamation, but just decks that contain a certain color. Matt, do you mind taking this one away?
1: I mean, it makes sense that the colors haven't shifted too dramatically. I think just with the commitment to having cycles finished in pretty much anything but commander precons, cons uh, like we had shard colored legendaries in the, la- in the latest core set. So, you know, every uh, every shard color combination got an equal representation, and that doesn't necessarily uh, command how popular those commanders are going to be. But they're at least releasing cards to support those those color combinations, so it, it makes sense that none of the the percentages are going up, you know, too much. Like it it is weird to see green going down. We always talk about, and if you ask probably the typical player too, what's the most busted and you know accidentally powerful color combination i'm pretty sure simic would be number one but soltai would probably be number two um so it makes sense why blue and black are there and and looking back to all my games that i've played in the past probably six months blue probably has been the most represented color as much as i hate to admit that so
0: so looking at this data here we can see from our old set of data data of all time 46 percent of decks contained white 50 contained blue 50 contained black, 44% contained red, and 47% contained green. But now we've updated things a little bit so we can check out some new percentage. Within the past two years, it looks like 45% of decks now contain white, so that's a shift of 1% down. 51% of decks now contain blue, that's 1% up. 50% of decks still contain black, that is the exact same. Then 45% of decks still contain red. That is actually a one percentage increase. And 46% contain green, which means that that one's gone down 1%. Again, very small, subtle shifts, but an interesting metric nonetheless.
2: Yeah, particularly, you know, the green one was one that that shocked me kind of. Uh, greens generally recognize as one of the strongest colors in commander if not the strongest and I was just surprised to see that drop particularly given the amount of f- strong green commanders we've gotten in the last year or two
0: I'm right there with you I was actually surprised to see that black and blue show up in an average of about half of, of decks around there like you are very likely just given anything you're very likely to run into blue and black at a much more popular clip. I, I just didn't ex- expect that. I really do think I was with you there. That I thought green would be the most popular.
2: And I, I seem to recall when we look at some similar stats on a show in the past, where we've we, we've been kind of shocked at that as well, discussing greens' prevalence in decks. Um, yeah, it's it's. I assumed it would be the highest, and it's not. Also, I wonder if some of this this data here with the the lack of really big swings. Um, and I think some of this might apply to the previous stat we looked at as well for for color numbers, is I think a lot of, in the last year or two, we've gotten new versions of old cards in maybe a way we haven't in the past. So, like, I wonder if people just transition their their Teza Orzov Scion deck to a Teza Karlov deck. That kind of thing wouldn't change their, you know, the color representation, and it wouldn't change the, Um, amount of colors in decks, but it would technically wind up being a new deck. So I wonder if those kind of things also aren't the kind of um, statistical change that that leave numbers not moving very much, even though people might add new decks or make changes that might do so in a way that doesn't affect those numbers. Right. And I want to
0: try and attach reasons to these here as well. I want to say, oh, you know, red's gotten a really great... uh, surge of cool card advantage cards like atali for example Um, and that might be a reason that red is increasing but you know white has also gotten cool cards like smothering tithe and it's actually moving downwards and green is moving downwards even though green is not slacking in really cool cards nowadays i'm loving guardian project way more than i expected to and i already loved that card just as a very quick example like i can't point to any one particular reason why these might be shifting i can only observe really that Things aren't moving too much, and I would kind of expect if we do see um, a more dramatic shift or something, it's, it's going to be more easy to trace, I suppose. Matt, please let us know about our next category when looking at this data changes.
1: The next category we're going to take a peek at is the guild color combinations. So what was the most popular, what was the least popular, and what shifted the most. So under the old regime of data, Golgari, Joey, you're welcome, was the most popular, but we already knew that. Mm-hmm. Over 16,500 decks. Is it coming in, coming in at number two with over 15,000? Simic in third, 14,400. Demir coming in fourth with almost 14,000. Selesnia comes in next with 13,500, followed up by Azorius with just under 13,000. Orzov comes in next at 12,100. Gruul, Coming in at number 8, 11,750. Number 9, Rakdos, 9,782. And then finally, Boros, you guessed it, the least popular guild, 9,307
0: decks. So uh, just before we actually move on to our new set of data, I feel like even this has actually shifted from when we did a guild episode last year. I remember some stuff being a little bit scrambled up. Generally, though, the makeup is pretty similar it's been very similar over time Well, Golgari is it and Simic have all been dominating near the top and then Rakdos and Boros in particular have always been very very close to the bottom
1: yeah that does make a lot of sense it is weird to see uh, if I'm recalling correctly I think Azorius was a little bit lower so seeing it climb up a bit um, that is a little surprising
0: yeah so even just since we did our uh, review last year you know some stuff has definitely changed but you know mostly stuff is staying in the same place and now I suppose we should see if that applies to the new set of data when we're measuring just within the past two years. We've cut out a bunch of decks, so what are things looking like now?
1: Yeah, so the average deck probably lost anywhere between 45 and 4,800 decks. The biggest loser, not the TV show, but the biggest loser as far as decks go, um, is Golgari, so that we lost almost 5,800 Golgari decks that had just been sitting out there and never updated. Rectos actually lost the fewest Uh, They lost about 3,300 decks, so that is something that I thought was a little interesting. So with the new rankings coming out, we now have a new champion. Who do you guys think it is?
0: (laughs) That is overstating it, Matt. How dare you? That's not what this is conveying. The
1: guild has been overthrown. Golgari is no longer the master master class. It is now the Izzet. Izzet decks have just under 11,000 at 10,781 decks, but it is close, Joey, so Golgari is still second uh, with 10,763 decks, so 18 decks total separating first and second place. <laughs> I can hear Joey typing right now, actually, trying to fill in those last few deck lists. I, well, So
0: that's what I want to say. So, like, okay, a shift happened, kinda. Is it, is indeed, you know... Good, popular, great, that's awesome. But Golgari has not necessarily been unseated. What they are now is tied more than they are actually. They are not you know. tied.
1: There, are eight, Those are 18 very real decks. That put, <laughs> is, it, that in is a place. negligible
0: amount, Matt.
1: Anyways, right. so coming Continue in. Continue th-
0: on with the list.
1: Third place, still the Simic with 9,752 decks. Dimir in fourth, 9,274. Fifth place, the Selesnia, 9,039 decks. Sixth place, Azorius, 8011. Coming in after that, Orzov, 7,806. Eighth place, the Gruel, 7,350. Ninth place, making a jump out of last place, the Boros with 6,427. And in last place, the Rakdos at 5,911 decks. I have a feeling they're not going to stay down long, considering tomorrow, Thursday, we're going to find out an entire (laughs) new precon. Devoted solely to the rectos.
0: That is very fair indeed. Uh, so, what we're seeing here, the list has largely stayed pretty similar. You know, a lot of these are in the exact same positions within the middle sections. The only differences that we're seeing when comparing these sets of data is that the top two guilds and the bottom two guilds switch places. Boros used to be in last place and Rakdos used to be in second to last place, but now they've swapped. And Izzet used to be in second place and Golgari in first place, but now they've swapped too. But that's also, again, kind of overstating it, Matt. Izzet is not the new champion. They're very much neck and neck. That is not the exact same case for Boros and Rakdos, though. That's a separation of over 500 decks. Like, that's interesting right there that Boros has actually increased in popularity Enough to overcome Rakdos. Like you said, we do have a new precon that's coming out, so Rakdos is about to get a whole bunch of love, but still, that's pretty interesting, especially considering that, as you mentioned earlier, Rakdos lost the fewest number of decks, like when we started dredging out old data and getting rid of it. You know, a bunch of new Boros decks have come up, and this one I think we can point to a single cause. I think that Feather did a whole lot of good for the color combination there to up the entire color combination's popularity compared to Rakdos.
2: Yeah, Feather added over a thousand new Boros decks just in the last, you know, it's been about, what, less than a calendar year, versus versus Rakdos to Showstopper and Judith the Scourge Diva that added... About 300 decks total. So like that differential rate there in the last year between new Rakdos decks from those two commanders and new Feather decks more than explains that jump.
1: Yeah, I mean Feather getting so many decks so quickly that that is exactly why I would, I would venture.
0: Yeah, I am excited to see that Boros is no longer on the bottom. I do think, Matt, you were very keen to point out that, yes, we're about to get a whole new influx of brand-new Rectos commanders, so maybe this is short-lived, but I'm also fascinated to see that Golgari is no longer reigning as a top dog, and that Is it is in fact, you know, sort of challenging that throne a little bit. So, um, I do hope that the... Uh, the Grave people, the Necromantic, the Insect folks, the Golgari Guild wins it out over those weird experimenty wizard type of people, but it is fascinating to see that it is no longer, you know, a difference of a thousand decks. It's actually very, very close now.
2: There's one more Rakdos Boros thing I'd like to throw out there too. Red in EDH has gotten a lot of help in the last couple years in terms of card draw. The, The Impulsive draw in Red has gotten genuinely quite good, I would say. That helps white that lacks card draw so like that helps boros as a color pair way more than it helps rakdos that already had decent card draw from black so the changes to red really haven't made made rakdos a better color necessarily and they've absolutely made boros a better color pair
0: that's yeah interesting observation i actually have a feeling that we might have to revisit our boros topic again in a later future episode it feels like That's something that we should address once more. It just feels like there's a lot of changes that have happened since we talked about it and early on in the life of this podcast. All right, we're moving on to our next category, measuring differences between data pulled from all time versus the past two years. This is the percentage of card type distribution in the average deck. So how many creatures the average deck is running, how many instants, how many lands, things like that. This one's actually a little sticky, but we'll power through it. So... Based on the old data, we could see that the average deck was running 27 creatures, 10 instants, 10.5 sorceries, 12 artifacts, 8.5 enchantments, 1.6 planeswalkers, which therefore, for those who are clever at math, you can tell leaves room for 29.4 lands. And before we even go any further, I feel as though we should linger on that number for just a moment because it's pretty darn low compared to the average number that we usually advocate running in a commander deck. And this became a little bit thorny when trying to dig into it. First of all, we discovered that the data was pulling multiple types. So artifact creatures like Solemn Simulacrum, for example, which is both an artifact and a creature, it would count for both an artifact and a creature. And there's a fairly decent number of artifact creatures running around in the EDH format. Or an artifact land like Darksteel Citadel or Seed of the Synod, that would count as an artifact. Additionally, we'd also scrape lists that look like 100 cohesive cards, but are actually just roughed drafts online. There's also the factor of competitive EDH decks to consider, which tend to run a lot fewer lands than what we consider, quote, normal. So the average probably was in fact higher than 29.4, and even though we think 29.4 is a ludicrously low number, we didn't want to enter into analysis with an expectation of how the data ought to look. But suffice to say, we've cleaned up how the data was filtered, and now we think we have something that looks a whole lot more interesting. So let's move on to our new numbers when we did that data cutoff of the past two years. Now we're looking at the average deck seems to run an average of 25 creatures, 8.5 instants, 9.5 sorceries, 10.8 artifacts, 7.5 enchantments, still 1.6 planeswalkers. And that leaves room for about 36 lands in the average deck.
1: That new number seems a lot more feasible when it comes to how many lands the decks are running.
0: Quite indeed. And again, these are just averages. You know, if you're playing an artifact based deck, obviously, you know, just 10.8 artifacts is in no way going to be actually what you'd look for. So this is, you know, trying to average out a whole bunch of different disparate types of decks from Enchantress to Voltron to plus one counters to tribal strategies and stuff like that. But still, this is around what we're getting. And that land. That definitely seems like a, a much more appropriate number.
1: Yeah, and I, I think on the lands topic too, and this, this is purely anecdotal, but I can't count the times that, you know, on, on a deck building website, someone would post to the forums and say, here's my new commander deck, what do you guys think? And they'd post a list with, you know, 25 lands or 27 lands, and th- the first thing people would say is, you have 15 six drops, you should probably run a few more lands. And the anecdotal response was, well, it's always worked out for me just fine. So we all, there was always that kind of kind of conversation. Whereas, you know, fast forward two years, there are so many deck building resources, not just EDH rec, but podcasts. There's other videos. There's all sorts of just content out there and not, not counting, you know, all the different deck building websites out there. People have so much more information at their fingertips now that, you know, they, they look at the average deck and more or less it's going to be in line Compared to they look an average deck that has, you know, 25 lands because people just, I think the community at large has become a much better deck builder compared to how they were two years ago. And that number count going to 36 is kind of a telltale sign, you know, Hey, we're we're getting there guys. We're getting better.
0: Right. Even if 29.4 was maybe measuring an improperly low number, I think that it still was definitely far too low. Because even the original Zedru Precon, I think, only had 33 lands in it. Stuff like that. Like I saw plenty of decks, even considering the old Mulligan rules, actually, where people definitely felt like they could get away with having a lot fewer lands than what we now consider uh, pretty typical, pretty usual. Uh, Dana, though, you've also made an observation about how even though we're at a higher number based on the metrics that we've got now, that number is actually still decreasing.
2: Well, I I think, you know, again, this is anecdotal, but like looking back even at myself, when I first started playing, I did that thing where I didn't run enough lands. You know, I'm running a, you know, 32, 33 land deck with an average CMC of, you know, 3.8 or something. However, I realized that wasn't enough, unlike the people that Matt's talking to. Um, So I would increase that number then up to 37 or, or 36 or 38 or whatever that would be. But then I've now since recorrected that over the last several years as the average CMC of my decks has dropped, the amount of lands I'm running in those decks has then dropped back down too. So I think that's a swing that I made, and I think I've seen that as well in people I play against where like they initially start out not running enough lands in their decks, and then you know, use a lot of the resources that are available and realize they need to correct that a little bit and, and adjust upwards. And then as they then, you know, play that deck over the course of a year or two or three and refine it and, and, and change how they play and get more efficient, then that number kind of settles back down a little bit. Um, not as far maybe as it was when they were playing, you know, 31 lands, but like I think it does then get more efficient and drop down somewhat.
0: Yeah that actually super lines up with the data that we're seeing here over looking at you know the past 2 years we can see that there was actually a point where if we'd done this show two years ago and instituted this two-year drop-off that we might have actually been measuring it as 37 lands instead of 36 but over the past two years it has actually seemed to decrease down to 36.5 and then to 36 and now slightly just below 36 actually drifting maybe towards 35.5 lands on average like it is actually still trending downward for what i think is exactly the same reason that you mentioned dana you're sort of streamlining your decks a little bit more and that feeds directly into our next category the average converted mana cost of a deck that is is also again trending downwards the old converted mana cost average was 3.51 when we were measuring data from all time and now it's 3.39 things are streamlining themselves just a little bit
2: yeah i mean the the data seems to back up at least a little bit what i've kind of observed in in the games i play at least have you seen that as well matt
1: i think i have and i think just I want to say just across the spectrum, just with what WotC has been doing on the R&D end is making almost better versions. Like we used to talk about how, you know, Red never got a a, a bear. They never got a 2-2-for-2, and now they've gotten a couple variants of bears. But yeah, I I think that power creep has kind of taken effect in in reaching into commander. Uh, We talk about how powerful new cards are getting into modern, and we know how mana efficient cards have to be for modern and legacy to make an impact. Naturally, some of those cards are going to be good enough for commander as well. So, just having those cheap and efficient answers or cheap and efficient win conditions, uh, those naturally are going to, you know, take the place. You know, people talk about uh, Avenger Zendikar kind of has been replaced by cheaper versions. You know, Joe, you have your uh, your Tender Shoot Dryad. I mean, I'm still running
0: Avenger of Zendikar in my decks. But yes, I do love me a Tender Right, But
1: that's also, you know, cutting off a couple mana to get, you know, a a very good effect for a win condition. So I think it's cards like that that just over the grand scheme of things. And I don't think we'll ever get below if we get below three as an average mana cost, even, you know, 10 years down the line. That would be very, very surprising because there's going to be expropriate quality cards at, you know, nine
2: mana. Well, in, in talking about power creep, or at least the efficiency of decks, if you look back at that original commander product, which was, what, 2011? You're looking at commanders like Vishkal, who was in there, who was a 7-drop. Uh, Satic, Lord of Secrets, who was a 7-drop. Rexial in there, who's a 6-drop. I'm trying to think, what else Kresh. is there? Yeah, Malfagor's in there, Kresh is in there. I mean, we're looking at just big, heavy casting costs on average for almost every one of the commanders in that deck Bassandra is five and she looks efficient compared to most of them so we've really moved away from that where you know a, a situation where you get chorus the conclave at eight mana in a pre-con that just doesn't really happen anymore unless it's got some weird thing that reduces the casting cost so even from from WotC, that that's changed how you play the game
0: Yeah, it's also just kind of interesting looking at EDH just on a broad spectrum, just the way that I feel like it's evaluated by folks who play other formats. People sort of render EDH as the format where everyone can play those big swingy nine mana spells. And whenever they see a very expensive costing spell in a set, they automatically will assume that it's supposed to be for EDH. I remember people even made that criticism, uh, or at least it sounded like a criticism. There was a card that came out in the Shadows of her Innistrad block where it was like a 7 or 8 mana white spell that makes your life total 26, and people were so used to seeing big mana spells be popular in the commander format that they assumed that this white spell would be a card for the EDH players. But no, it super wasn't. We would never pay that much mana to put our life total to a lower amount than our starting life total. It didn't make any sense. But that's always the thing that I hear people say about EDH or at least it's the I suppose a a criticism or a rough evaluation of the format even if it isn't ill-minded but I do think that this is an important thing to note we are slightly moving away from that this isn't the format where we just play all the big swingy nine mana cards anymore I mean heck I don't play Butcher of Malicure because it's seven mana and it doesn't win me the game. It's a decent card, but I just can't really make that work anymore because things have gotten a lot more streamlined. And I think that this data is supporting that. We are seeing things trend down as those really big, crazy, high mana costing spells don't have as much room as they used to have. They're not raining as often as they used to be able to.
2: Yeah, that, I mean, kind of bears out what I've observed as well. Butcher Malakir is actually a great example. That's a card that I used to see a lot, and I can't think of the last time I've seen someone play that.
0: The last time that I think you saw them play that was in their Edgar Markov deck, but it was more expensive than Edgar Markov, which makes it a little bit weird, because Edgar Markov tends to be the top end in those decks. I don't know. Now I'm waxing philosophical, so I think that what I should do is instead move on to our next category. What do you say? Yeah. All right. Before we get there, I actually have a caveat. What I wanted to try and find for this next category where we're looking at the popularity jumps and shifts of specific cards, what I wanted initially to find was looking at the biggest jumps or changes or drops in cards within the 99 overall. What cards you know, jumped the highest in popularity? What cards dropped the most in popularity? Here's the problem though, the data was scattered and split cards particularly messed it up because they are difficult to grab, so we saw a dramatic decrease in all of these split cards even though that couldn't be the case. The way that we scrape data is just sometimes difficult and split cards got in the way, so we weren't able to look at cards in general. But we did pick a small handful of cards in specific that we thought might have some changes. So we've picked at least one card per color and then a whole bunch of artifacts to see whether they've changed a whole lot in popularity. Those cards are Solemn Simulacrum, Wrath of God, Bribery, Phyrexian Arena, Reforge the Soul, Crozen Grip, and then a bunch of artifacts like Mind's Eye, Gilded Lotus, Dark Delingate, Lightning Greaves, a bunch of those. So we just want to see if these particular cards have changed in popularity percentage. Matt? Matt? Do you wanna start us off looking at the percentage of cards with these specific decks to see if things have changed when we did this data drop-off?
1: Sure can, Joseph. So, first up, solemn simulacrum, one of the most <laughs> Sorry, you call me
2: Joseph. Josephius. Who
1: are you, my grandmother? Sorry, Joseph-Fias go on. is yeah. his
2: proper name.
0: <laughs> Sorry, go on. That just really that struck me out of nowhere.
2: Alright,
1: Josephus. Oh my
0: goodness. <laughs> Please talk about the cards.
1: So Solemn Simulacrum, one of the cards that we've talked about, uh, you know, about about being power creeped every now and then. The stats do show that, actually. So in the old rankings, it showed up in almost 26% of decks at 25.96% of decks. Now it's only in 20.64% of decks. So, you know, 5% drop off there. Wrath of God moves from 12.46% of all white decks to 917 also going down quite a bit. Bribery goes from 3.25% of blue decks to 1.75, so almost half there. Phyrexian Arena goes from 15.48% of decks to 12.78% of black decks. Reforge the Soul goes from 5.17% of red decks to 4.56%. Krosan Grip goes down from 12.1% to 10.49%. Mind's Eye in all of decks. This is it now, these are artifacts because they go in any deck, goes from 3.68% to 3.06%. So even that goes down a little bit. Gilded Lotus drops from 16.45 to 14.59. Dark Steel Ingot, one of Dana's favorite cards. 16.76% to 14.56% of, car, er, of decks. And finally Lightning Greaves even drops a little bit from 31.3% of decks to 30.67% of all decks.
0: That's a whole lot of numbers, but generally just taking a very brief summation of all of the stuff that you just mentioned, we're seeing a lot of cards that I we sort of picked because we consider them part of the, I guess you'd call them the old guard of EDH, a lot of these things seem to be losing a little bit in popularity. Not a ton for all of them. The percentage yeah, is, again, very small. But some of these cards are, you know, waning just a bit.
2: I'll say in, in that kind of, those are all particular spells that I think I personally run less of for the most part, too. Um, also, if you look at some of these spells, there are ones, you know, it's easy to talk about power creep, but like Reforged the Soul, when that was printed, there's, there was... Two draw spells in red. <laughs> like at the time, there's what? There's <laughs> right. Wheel of Fortune and I don't even remember what Faith was looting, maybe. Whereas, you know, they've since then really done a nice job patching up the draw in red. I think Reforged of Souls kind of paid the price for that kind of thing as well. So I think you see some of that with Mind's Eye, especially. Mind's Eye was frequently ran in Boros decks as a way to draw. That's kind of taken a hit as Boros has gotten draw. Um, Gilded Lotus taken a hit because it costs five mana, I think. So, like, a lot of these. If you asked me to guess if they were in more or less decks, I would guess probably less decks for all of them, and I have a logical reason why, whether it's because good cards have been printed since then that might have taken those slots, or because they've just got um, outclassed because of their cost and because, you know, better things have came along.
0: Well, and that's why we wanted to look at these particular cards, especially, you know, debates on Solemn, Solemn Simulacrum are things that I've seen online a whole bunch. And the data does seem to show that People are putting it in their decks way less often, especially way less often than any of these other cards. The only one that seems to have remained pretty much unchanged, it's down just a very small amount, is Lightning Greaves, which is still hovering at around 31% of all eligible decks. That's still maintaining a pretty decent clip, but a lot of the other stuff that we're seeing is indeed going down, as you mentioned Probably because we're getting some other more efficient options out there. Mind's eye doesn't need to be, uh, you know, a solution for some of those other things because we're getting new options in colors nowadays, too. You know, Reforge the Soul as well. Crozen Grip, still a really cool card. That split second can really make a big difference. But we've also got a lot of other new cool things too, like Force of Vigor, for example. So some of these cards are getting crowded out just a little bit to make room for a bunch of other new, also very exciting cards that are also making splashes within the format. So it's neat to see that it wasn't just a suspicion that we had that maybe these cards are showing up less often, but we can actually see that it is actually the case. These cards are indeed showing up a little bit less often as they're being forced to make room for other new and very exciting inclusions as well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys have said. You know, I I think about how I used to play Mind's Eye in my Edgar Markov deck because it just a draw engine. But then, you know, I started playing some of those one shot effects like, you know, your, your Knight's Whispers, your Read the Bones. And yeah, I, I know looking at these stats that it is reflective in my own anecdotal evidence or anecdotal experiences I should say that yeah it, it, these these stats are pretty accurate
0: and I think more than anything, it's heartening to see this kind of stuff. Like it might sound sad, like, oh, these cards are not as popular as they used to be, but that's good. It means that new cards are making splashes. I think that that's actually really good information to receive. Also, on a totally separate note, Matt, I want to get a quick soundbite of the I agree with everything you just said and make that <laughs> maybe my never going
1: tone. to happen ever again. <laughs> nice try. Is it? Is the number one guilt.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, none of that blasphemous talk from you. That's just not nope. okay. How about so that we can stop fighting? We'll move on now to our last segment, challenging <laughs> some statistics <laughs>
1: Where we never have fought before. Right? We're just ever, never never
0: ever have <laughs> fought before. Dana, I'm gonna uh,
2: let you start us off here while I stare daggers at Matt. How about that? All right. So this was a card suggested to me actually by a user in the Command Zone Discord. Who, he flagged me down and said, if you want to do some challenge stats, how come no one's running this card in the Kaikar Winds Fury deck? And I, he, he linked the card, and I'm like, huh. So I went and checked the stats. The card we're looking at here is Martyr's Bond. It's in 11 of 553 Kaikar Winds Fury decks. And for those who don't know, Martyr's Bond says it's an enchantment. It costs six mana, so it's not nothing, but whenever Martyrs Bond or another non-land permanent you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a permanent that shares a card type with it. So you are playing a commander that can just sacrifice those spirit tokens at will. It basically gives you a Grave Pact effect baked into Kaikar. And I'm genuinely shocked it's only an 11 decks only an 11 cardix. 11 of 553
1: That's, I uh, I do think it's a very powerful card but you you made a really good comparison for me at least to grave pact and dictative Erebos or even aura shards it's kind of an unfun card to play against in yes. the right deck and so I I can see why people would want to play it because it yeah that effect is great but also depending on you know what kind of player you're playing against it might not be very fun because they may not be able to you know get around it so i could see both sides of that but i i do agree if you're trying to be a powerful deck martyrs bond is fantastic
0: as a person who runs grave pact and (laughs) dictative Erebos effects in many of my necromancy and sacrifice based things i fully support the decision to play martyrs bond and i think that matt can go
2: suck it (laughs) i'm sorry that i care about my friends that i play with well, and I would say this, like it, it's not a card I myself would probably run either, but it's undoubtedly really, really good in that deck. A lot of times to pull those effects off, you need to have you know a Sack Elwood in play, and you need to have a way to make those tokens, and there's, a, there's a, quite a few moving pieces to make that work. That is not the case in Kaikar. It's just all there on the commander. Oh yeah,
1: it's, it's all business yeah. all the time.
0: No, Matt, we can't agree on the same thing. Remember, we're supposed <laughs> to be fighting. That's
1: right. All right. Uh, don't play it. It's but, bad. Burr. <laughs> All
0: right. I'm going to move on to another card that I also think is being shockingly underplayed right now. That is the card Thirsting Bloodlord. And if you don't know what that card is, that's because it came in a Planeswalker deck and not Core Set 2020 proper not within the actual stuff that you can open up in packs thirsting bloodlord is a four mana vampire two black black for a three three vampire that says other vampires you control get plus one plus one and i just feel the need to remind everyone that this card exists it is currently only showing up in 35 total decks according to edh rec and man is that a slam dunk in edgar markov it anthems all of your vampires it makes a vampire with edgar markov it is just very very solid and it's only showing up in one percent of decks that have been built with edgar markov at the helm ever since corset 2020's release and man people just need to know that don't forget that this one exists just because it came in a planeswalker deck does not inherently mean that it's bad this is actually very good play it in edgar markov thirsting blood lord you're welcome you have gotta play this it's gonna annoy the crap out of people don't forget it exists. I actually... Thank you for coming to yeah, my TED Talk. I,
2: I didn't know that was a card. Um You know, it's not the most efficient thing in the world, a 4-mana. A lot of times, Edgar decks are trying to be basically Edric decks, kind of. Um, but it's not bad, either. And it's an Anthem, 3-3. I mean, that's pretty solid. I would definitely consider running that. I didn't know it was even a card. So, you've already enlightened me here, Joey. I am glad for it. If people can
0: play Butcher of Malakir in an Edgar yeah. Markov deck, they can also play Thirsting Bloodlord in an Edgar Markov deck. That's where I'm at with it. All right, Matt, let's finish up with your challenge to stats.
1: So my challenge to stats this week is one that actually I really don't want to look against when I'm playing my Kaikar deck. Uh, but also, I've seen some stuff revolving around the new uh, Gri- Grismold, the Dreadsower. He's one of the new uh, legendary creatures. He's the Golgari Troll Shaman uh, coming out in the Sultai deck. So he's a 3-3, three, three, one black-green, 3-3 uh, three, three with trample. At the beginning of your end step, each player creates a 1-1 one, one green plant creature token. Whenever a creature token dies, put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on Grismold. So this, car- this card that I'm going to challenge that I think should actually be in a bunch of Grismold decks is Virulent Plague. It is an enchantment for two and a black, and it just reads, creature tokens get minus-two, minus-two. If you're playing against a Kaikar deck, it certainly shuts down their you know, their, their token spirit plan. But if you're playing Grismold, you give everybody tokens, those tokens just die right away, and you get a very, very beefy Troll Shaman very, very quickly. Uh, I think I've seen enough people saying, well, I'm going to play Knight of Souls Betrayal, I'm going to play Plague Engineer, I'm going to play all these, and Virulent Plague just goes a little bit bigger uh, it's it's harder to interact with being an enchantment, so it's going to stick around a little bit longer. But I think if you're playing against anybody who puts a lot of tokens in their decks or they're, you know, say you're going to give them some tokens, why not kill them right away without impacting your own Grismold like Knight of Souls Betrayal would? So Virulent Plague is only played in 163 total decks right now. I think that if you're going to play Grismold, you probably should put the the, the Plague in there. Okay yes
0: virulent plague is only played in 163 total decks but we have zero decks on edh rec as of this moment with grismold at the helm right like i'm giving you a that's forewarning. not challenging stats for grismold
1: I'm, you can't I'm, challenge stats that don't exist yet i'm giving people a forewarning of if you're going to play this it's not going to show up i i don't think virulent plague gets thought of enough so i'm pre-challenging it to say hey this should be in more decks
2: I, I would agree with you in general. Very, like- very Vir- Vir- plague is a really decent card for three mana. I think it's, I think it's super meta dependent. But I guarantee you, there's a sure. ton of people out there who are playing in a small meta of like four or five people, and you see a token deck every single game. Like, I've been in that meta before, and I guarantee there's a lot of them out there. And if you're playing Black, Free One play can do a ton of work in those smaller metas where you know there's always going to be somebody there playing that Gave deck or that Resa Redeem deck. Especially with a Populate deck being another one of the Precons, that means yeah. there's going to be a lot of tokens going around. I mean, my, my Talran deck is primarily a token deck, and if you drop this on turn three, I'm playing the entire game hoping I can top deck a Boomerang or I'm doing nothing.
0: Look, I'm not disagreeing with anything of what you guys just said. I'm just saying that I wanted to put challenge the Stats on Thirsting Bloodlord last week. And Matt said, no, you shouldn't do it yet. We don't have any data did from that card that. yet. Well,
2: to be, fi- yes, to be you fair, did. you know, not all the rules apply to Matt in the way they apply to you, Joey. That is true. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Joey, uh, but I'm uh,
1: above the law.
0: Oh, man, every single episode, you find a way to troll me in very, very expert fashion. <laughs> you are a mean, mean man, Mr. Morgan. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me at
1: Virulent Plague Advocate on the Twitters. Uh, but I actually, it's actually, you know, Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5.
0: And, Dana, you horrible enabler who lets Matt get away with this kind of crazy shenaniganery, where can you be found? You can
2: find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central.
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDH Rec and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gma.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on our community content spotlight section of EDH Rec, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fan fantastic team of writers thanks for sticking with us for this two-part episode and actually you should let us know if there are any other reports in the future that you'd like us to go over looking at data that was different from drawing from all time versus now just the past two years happy spoiler preview season for commander 2019 everybody we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights about the commander precons. but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck You're telling a story that involves alcohol, babies, <laughs> and the Midwest. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> on three different
1: measurements. Joseph, you know you enjoyed the Midwest when you came. I did enjoy
0: the, um, oh, what the hell is it called? The flooding? The, the biscuits and gravy thing that I got that was, I- instead of the um, the eggs benedict, I got like a biscuit and gravy.
1: <laughs> You're welcome
0: instead of hollandaise sauce they had gravy instead of eggs they had sausage gravy
1: <laughs>
2: that's, that's t- technically, that, that is more southern than midwestern but it's, I guess yeah. it's kind of moved up here in the last
1: few years you, you, see you guys have brown gravy because of poutine and we have white gravy because of yeah. cholesterol